Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Listen to what God is saying to us and to you. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak compassionately to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her compulsory service has ended, that her penalty has been paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is crying out, clear the Lord's way in the desert, make a level highway in the wilderness for our God. Every valley will be raised up and every mountain and hill will be flattened. Uneven ground will become level and rough terrain a valley plain. The Lord's glory will appear and all humanity will see it together the Lord's mouth has commanded it. A voice was saying, call out. And another said, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass. All its loyalty is like the flowers of the field. The grass dries up and the flower withers where the, when the Lord's breath blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass dries up, the flower withers, but our God's word will exist forever. Go up on a high mountain, messenger Zion. Raise your voice and shout, messenger Jerusalem. Raise it, don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Here is the Lord God coming with strength, with a triumphant arm, bringing his reward with him and his payment before him. Like a shepherd, God will tend the flock. He will gather lambs in his arms and lift them up on his lap. He will gently guide the nursing ewes. May God add a blessing to the reading of these words. Good morning. There we go. Ooh, ah. <laughs> <clears throat> My name is Colton Lott, and I am the student pastor, and I hope you'll pray with me. Holy God, open all of us to all of you. Open our brains, but our bodies and our hearts, our thoughts and our spirits. Work through us and in us. Amen. Oh my goodness, I feel so special. Thank you, Drew. Close your eyes and story with me, if you would. So you might want to lean back in your chair. You want to throw your legs out, shimmy on down until you feel comfortable. My people, my people feel comforted. Um, if you're like me, I like to look around and look up. I'm not going to judge you. I'll try not to even look at you. That makes you feel better. Follow me to a long time ago. You go out to the market almost every day to try and suss out what is going on here 
And more importantly, what's going on in the world? Change seems to be coming, but it's hard to see what that change is. The world is turbulent. The times are tough. Violence reigns supreme. For 70 years or so, long before you were born, your family and your people, most of the people you know, have lived in the land of the conqueror, the land of the captor, and the land of the oppressor. But change is coming. You can feel it in your bones and you can hear it in the wind. You and your people live in a neighborhood outside of Babylon in these Jewish quarters. The oldest among you can remember hearing their parents talk about a different time and a different land, a land that was yours, and there was a temple there. And it was beautiful. God lived there. It was so beautiful and strong and mighty that God lived there. Life in Jerusalem was rich, and it was your own. These times are wistfully remembered, sometimes in song, on the Sabbath, through tears. And yet you sit in a Jewish quarter on the forgotten edge of one of the most celebrated cities in the entire known world, a city that so many others can celebrate, but you can only hate. Change is coming, though. The soldiers, they come back, they're talking about it. The people in the market are worried about their sales. Babylon isn't great anymore, they're saying. Babylon doesn't win anymore, they cry. That's just fine. That's good. Their swords have been soaked with enough blood, and their people are certainly fat enough. Babylon might finally have grasped so much land and so much land too tightly in their fingers, and now dirt and muck and mud is starting to spill out between the lines of their greed. that you know and you believe and you felt and your family felt before you that Jerusalem, Jerusalem was not to have been destroyed. It wasn't supposed to go that way. The old Isaiah, the old one, he had said that over 150 years ago. The city was not only your home, but God's home too. God was supposed to be too big to fail. Even when it looked like there would be no hope, when all the cities around Jerusalem were reduced to mounds of bone and rubble, the temple still stood in the city around it. Even when the Assyrians sieged Jerusalem itself and it looked like twilight would finally fall, crisis was averted. Somehow prayer worked. Somehow God saved the day. Somehow the city was saved again. It was miraculous. It was unexpected. It was impossible. So it could have only been God. God, God's self, did not want Jerusalem destroyed. Not then and not ever. Until it happened. You listen a little more closely to those soldiers who are looking over the fruit stand. 
We can't keep the Persians back forever, they say. You go over and examine the pomegranates a little too closely so you can eavesdrop harder. Stretching your ears, you can hear their whispering, King Nabonidus of Babylon, such a loser. He can't find his way out of a paper sack. I mean, people say he's bad at home. You ought to see the generals he appoints. Grossly incompetent. I suspect the Persians will have us overrun in months. Maybe we can squeeze a year. That Cyrus, that new king of Persia, he knows a thing or two. And your heart stops. There's no way that this could be happening. Not in your lifetime. Maybe your grandchildren's children, but not yours. The Persians were better emperors than the Persians. Excuse me, the Persians were better emperors than the Babylonians. They let people worship their own gods. Sometimes they even let the captives go free. They might let you go home. Albeit, home has become a fable. But maybe, you just might maybe get to go home to a land you never knew, but heard about in these stories your mom and dad told you. This land that Joshua had said was full of milk and honey. This land promised to Abraham. The land that Solomon built a house for God upon. The land upon which all of your ancestors that you can rattle off the top of your head had lived until until they were made to walk a curvy path to a place of despair in the east. The city only fell because God had left Jerusalem after all. And there was no hope for your ancestors then. Without the the protection of God, there was no chance for a tiny wayward kingdom to, to retain any power because they had no protector. Without a shepherd, there would be no future. No future without God. And you know that's true, at least in the mind, but you also can think, yes, we've made a mistake, but God... Look down, look down at us, watch us beat our breast. We were wrong, and so you left us out there without a guardian to be punished by the evilness of the world we tried to imitate, and we repent. God, hear us as you heard our ancestors in Egypt. Hear us wail. Do not forget about us. You are our God. You made promises. You cannot forget us here. And you cursed the ground because you got caught up in hope again. Dumb. Human beings are vastly overrated. Dumb. The whole going back home thing was a crapshoot anyway. Too many pieces have to fall in the exactly right place at the exact right time, and it's an impossible dream. Besides, how are you even going to get there anyway? The way is long. The wind is cold. The people are infirm and old. Stupid, stupid, stupid Isaiah, you tell yourself. But a voice cries out, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And not just any God, but your God. In fear and trembling, you listen. But how can you, meager you, comfort your family, much less the neighbor next door? Your God continues, speak compassionately to Jerusalem. But how? 
God, did you forget the story? All that's left of Jerusalem is broken walls and broken promises and broken-hearted people. Speak compassionately to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her compulsory service has ended, that her penalty has been paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Your God continues, and you complain about the frailty of people, but are reminded that God's word is eternal. People might be finite, but God is infinite. Don't fear, says the words of God. Go up, go up on a high mountain, messenger Zion. Raise your voice, your voice, your very voice, and shout, messenger Jerusalem. Raise it, raise it high, raise it loud. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, say to the people who feel forgotten, say to the people who are without hope, here, here in this land, here amongst you, right now, amongst you and this very people is God, not just any God, but your God. And God is coming. God has heard you. God has heard us and is coming with strength with a triumphant arm, and God is bringing God's reward. God's bringing payment, too. And God is coming like a shepherd. And this time, God will tend the flock, and the flock won't be left alone. The flock won't be unguarded. The shepherd will gather lambs, little lambs, that are weak in the knees and don't even know how to bleat yet. The shepherd is going to gather these lambs into, this, into his arms and cradle them in his lap. When God is our shepherd, God will help these littlest of lambs to nurse. And there will be enough milk to make sure all of them grow to be big and strong. Don't be afraid, the voice says. Don't be afraid. Go up on a high mountain and speak compassionately. Comfort Comfort my people. You can open your eyes. Story time is over. You get to hear more words, but not as fun, perhaps. Isaiah 40, where this text comes from, is part of a collection. So the, the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. And this is biblical exegesis, scholarly stuff that most people don't care about, but some of you might, so I wanted to put it up there. Um, 40 to 55 is the middle section, second Isaiah, and it's written at a special time. It's written during the exile. It's right on the cusp of when that would end, when the Jewish people were allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And the voice of Isaiah that you find is one that's preparing his or her people for a history-making event. They were going to have a special opportunity to go home or at least to go back to a place that their ancestors had called home. But they had questions. And questions for them. Would they be brave enough to take the chance? Would they go home? Or would they remain to be the, the, the kind of second-class citizens in Babylon? Would they try to rebuild the temple and the holy city? Or would they be complacent? What would be their story? And the prophets spoke eternal messages into context made by a specific time in a specific place. 
The voice of Isaiah is undoubtedly talking to his fellow Judeans exiled in Babylon. But the core of his message, the bones that give them shape, the center of it all speaks to us too. Will we be brave enough to take the chance? Will we work to restore the creation and work for what is good and holy and beautiful? Or will we be complacent? What is our story? In case you haven't received the message, today is the first Sunday in Advent. It's the period when Christ comes again for the church. Change is afoot. Can you read the tea leaves? The signs are faint. And for some, they're fainter than they've ever been. You'll need a magnifying glass and some patience. But maybe you too can see the crumb trail. Today we celebrate prophets, especially prophets of the Hebrew Bible, and most particularly the voice of Isaiah. We celebrate the prophets because they showed us the way and continue to show us a way through a very special kind of hope, prophetic hope, a hope that is born out of its ability to point to something that's beyond itself. And the gift of prophetic hope is that it proclaims good news. It proclaims a new beginning. It proclaims that God is still here, yes, here, and that God is still working, and that God is still speaking, even here, even now, even with us. Prophetic hope is certainly part of religious belief, a leap of faith, no less. But it's also steely resolve. It demands that God keeps God's promises. It demands that the people keep the people's promises. And it's a voice that remembers. It's a voice that calls to people to remember that they are bound to God, and it calls to God to remember that God is bound to this people. And without each other, this enterprise doesn't work. We are changed together, and we change each other. And there is no higher example of that than the advent of Jesus. Soon, very soon, God will be with us again to teach us, to change us, even to save us. And we dare say that God is here for us to be a part of God too. That God is here for us to affect God, and that's a dangerous idea. It's easy to be hopeless. I know it. That's why Isaiah had to proclaim hope. And that's why Jesus had to proclaim hope. And that's why we have to do that work too. We have proclamation too. We are unique, the church, the church universal, the church of which we're a part. We're unique to this neighborhood and to our city and to the state and to the nation and the entire world, to the whole of creation. Because the hope that we have isn't rooted in optimism we have a hope that's rooted in this vision, greater than what we are now, a vision of a society that's more fair and just, a vision of a creation that's been restored, no longer scarce or being destroyed by wanton recklessness. We have a vision that's holy, completely other, set apart, a vision of this world that aligns with God's vision for the world, and that's why we have hope. That's why we proclaim good news. We celebrate the prophets because they remind us, even in these days of December, for us in the northern hemisphere, when the days are short, the daylight is not present, our imaginations grow dim, that we're not in this alone. 
what we have comes and returns to God. Hope is not an emotion. Because if it were, we might not have it. And I know that many of you, myself included, have felt hopeless in this year 2016 since the last time we said Merry Christmas to one another. And I know for many of you, or at least some of you, it was hard long before November the 8th. If Christmas was just about good tidings and merriment, cheer, and gift wrapping, the church wouldn't have a voice. But it's not. It's not. Christmas is where we recognize that God's empire, the kingdom of God, is already here and not yet here. And because of that dual reality that we have, we make the choice, and it's a choice, to have hope, even when we don't have the assurance. And it's a hard choice, and it's been a hard choice for all of our Jewish and Christian ancestors. That part isn't new to the story. Hope is a miracle, hope is a mystery, and hope is the most radical gift that we have. Will we be brave enough to take the chance? Will we work to restore the creation and work for what's holy and good and beautiful? Or will we be complacent? What will our story be? Will you say yes to the hope that we have? Amen.